Last week, we started a series in the book of Genesis, and I have heard that you have had a lot of really great discussions in your community groups this week about the creation and about what we saw last week. Now, we left last week with God having created everything by speaking it into existence, and we talked about how God, with his very powerful words, could do that. Everything God made was good. And Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden, uh, given every plant and every fruit of the tree to eat with only one rule. They had no Ten Commandments. There were no Old and New Testaments. They had one rule, which was not to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden or they'll die. What could possibly go wrong with that plan, right? I mean, you got one rule, just one. I mean, I haven't had one rule my whole life. I've had lots of rules my whole life growing up. So have you. So you thought to yourself, what possibly could go wrong? Well, we're going to see today the fall of mankind because of that one rule. Now, I think sometimes we as New Testament believers, we believe that the Old Testament maybe doesn't apply to us very much. That was written uh, to the nation of Israel, and it wasn't really uh, for us. And uh, while we can say certainly some applications in the Old Testament uh, don't apply to us, I think there are some really strong principles about who God is and what the foundations of our faith are uh, in the Old Testament. And that's why we're going through this book of Genesis. Uh, Today I want us to see six points with really, today, strong application and meaning for us today, okay? So let's just get right into it. And the first one is this. In in Genesis chapter 3, which is what we're going to go through today, we see that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to see that this conversation of lies is incredible between the serpent who is in disguise and Eve. Now, we could get into a very long theological debate over whether the serpent was an actual uh, serpent, whether it was already a snake, whether it, it doesn't matter. Okay, we, we can get into all kinds of crazy debates about that. Here's the point, and that is that Satan was in disguise. Okay, he had somehow disguised himself. And the reason I want to tell you that is because he comes to us often disguised. Rarely does he come to us uh, in, in, a, in a manner that we would say, oh, look, Satan's approaching. Awesome. I know how to deal with this. That rarely happens. But usually he comes in disguise, and he came in some kind of disguise to Eve. And I want us to read these verses again and pick out the uh, lies in each verse. So I've got them highlighted here. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now that's a lie, folks. Satan knew exactly what God had told them. He already knew that this wasn't true, but he was putting doubt in her mind right away about what God had said. He was putting thoughts in her mind. And then I want you to see that she now participates in this conversation of lies. 
She says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now that's a minimization of what God had said. God didn't say, hey, here's a whole bunch of trees. Yeah, you can eat from the trees if you like. He said, no. If you read in, in Genesis chapter two or 1 and 2, he's saying, listen, see all the abundance? See how much I've blessed you? See how wonderful it is? You can have it all. You can have everything you see. It's awesome. Except for one thing. Don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. That's it. See, but he, he, he provides this wonderful, incredible blessing, and she kind of goes, uh, yeah, God said we could eat of the trees. Kind of minimizes what God had done for them already. But God, uh, and the one said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said that. You read chapter 1 and 2, God never says you can't touch the tree. You can't touch the fruit. She's just added to God's words. Now we hear that and we go, well, how ridiculous is that? Why would she do that? But how often do religious practices add to God's word? How often do things that are our personal preferences and things we would like to be true all of a sudden become dogma and our theology? She's adding to God's word, which is an incredible mistake. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Wow, now that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Straight from the pits of hell, folks. He's, he's saying here, listen, God is a liar. I know God told you that. He's lying. He's imputing God's character. He's saying, listen, he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you from some wonderful blessing. God's trying to hold you down. God's trying to, to make you stupid. He, you're not going to die. By the way, that's what Satan does to us today. We, we see God's word and it says don't do something. We go, eh, look, you know, Satan goes, hey, look, it's, it's going to be good for you. I've even heard Christians say, hey, I think it's really good for us to like um, experience every sin once so that we know what it's like for other people. That's ridiculous thinking, folks. That is ridiculous. That's not a biblical principle. Listen, this is what Satan does, and he's still doing it today. Then he goes on, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, they will know good and evil, but they won't be like God. They won't be God-like because they now know that they've sinned. Satan is lying to them. This is what he does, folks, and he's still doing it today. God's word, he's saying, listen, God's word isn't true. He's trying to hold you back. He's trying to keep you down. Don't trust him. He is a liar. But folks, Satan speaks from his nature and his character. He can't do anything else. Remember, I don't know much about farming, but I can see a tree with a bunch of apples on it and know that it's an apple tree. Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Look what John says in, in chapter 8, verse 44. It says, you are of your father the devil, Jesus is talking here, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is the liar and the father of lies. Every time he whispers in our ear, folks, it's a lie. 1984, I wrote a song that my band played called The Father of Lies. The chorus goes like this. It says, you're the father of lies, so get away from my eyes. 
No, I don't want to see all that you have for me. You're the father of lies, and I just despise your lies. Folks, when we don't decide to reject his whispers, bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Let's look at principle number two. We see that Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God, and they rebelled. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So based on the conversation with the serpent, Eve decides to decide for herself. She's like, okay, I know what God has said, but now uh, this serpent has told me some different information. Maybe I should listen to him. I'm going to decide to do what I want to do. She goes to the tree in the midst of the garden, and she says to herself, hey, it looks like it tastes good. It's food, after all, right? And it'll be a blessing to me because it'll make me wise. I'm going to try it. Folks, listening to Satan's voice, those lies, and her own voice, which justifies, and ignoring God's voice that protects, she eats and she breaks the one law that God gave. Think about that for a minute. Satan's voice is always to lie because that's who he is. What do we do as human beings? We justify. She says, hey, it looks pretty good. It's food after all, and it'll make me smarter. Why wouldn't I do it? It makes sense, right? It just makes sense. I'm going to do it. She hands it to Adam, and he sees that she isn't dead. So maybe God is a liar, and he eats of it too. Now, when we read this, let's be honest. We read this, and we go, how could they? Just one rule. That's it. How could they be so stupid? But before we cast stones, don't we do the same thing? Doesn't Satan whisper to us that what God has said is maybe really not true? Don't we justify in our own minds why God isn't right or maybe relevant? Don't we decide to go ahead and do, act against what God has said because we know better? I think we do. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Folks, we need to be honest. We cannot trust our own thinking. When we do that, we sin. We have sin in our hearts. We have sin in our nature. And when we do what seems right to us, I mean, look carefully at that verse. There is a way that seems right. It doesn't seem wrong. It seems like it's okay to do it. Listen, I see those people doing it. I see these people. Everybody's telling me. It just seems right to do it, even though God says not to. And we wind up giving in. Think about how this works in an earthly way. Our father says to us when we're children, hey, don't play ball in the street but we somehow justify doing it, right? So, so our dad says, hey, don't play ball in the street. Stay in the yard. But you go, wow, but 
man, it's so much easier to have the bases drawn out on them. It's really level. It's hard to run, and I fall down sometimes. So I'm going to play out in the street where it's all level. And by the way, when they hit the ball and they miss it and it bounces, man, it just keeps on going. I think it's better to play in the street so we don't listen to our father's voice. We play in the street, and all is well and good until a car comes. And then when that happens, we learn the hard way that he wasn't trying to keep us from having fun. Dad's not trying to hold us down. He was speaking in love, protecting us, even from ourselves. And what does this behavior bring to Adam and Eve? It brings shame. They realize they are naked, and now they have shame and they have guilt, which always come with sin. And they make fig leaves to cover themselves up. By the way, they're not out in public, folks. Think about that. They have shame just in front of each other. And so they cover themselves up. Guilt always brings shame, and shame always brings hiding. Keep in mind, they are now wearing fig leaves. This will be important later. Okay? But I want you to pay special attention to where Adam is during this whole interchange. Okay? I used to think when I was a child, I'd heard this story several times, I've read it several times, and I used to think to myself, uh, Eve and the serpent are over here and they're having this conversation, and Adam's here, over here doing his thing, you know, and, and Eve has the conversation, she eats the fruit, and then she brings it over here to Adam and gives it to him, and he eats of it. But I want you to see again, verse 6, pay close attention to where Adam is. All right? Here's what it says. Because Adam ignores God, his God-given rule. Here's what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. This, for me, is one of the most convicting passages in the entire Bible. Where was Adam? He was standing right there beside her. Think about that for a minute. The serpent approaches his wife and he stands there and he does nothing. The serpent engages her in a conversation that Adam clearly hears is going the wrong way and he stands there and he does nothing. She reaches out for the fruit of the tree, preparing to break God's laws. And he stands there as she's reaching out. He stands there and does nothing. She takes it off the tree and brings it up to her face to take a bite. And he stands there and he does nothing. Then she hands it to him for him to eat with her. And he does what she tells him to do. Now, gentlemen, pay attention. If you want Satan to steal your wife away and grab the hearts of your kids, all you have to do is nothing. You don't have to get involved in Satan worship. You don't have to commit every sin under the sun. 
You don't have to go in absolutely the wrong direction. All you have to do is stand there and watch Satan take them from you. Folks, Eve was created for Adam. Adam wasn't created for Eve. Adam was the leader, the protector, the guard, standing at the door of his wife's heart, and he stood there, and he said nothing, and he did nothing, and he was nothing. Men, Satan's plan is the same today. He wants to destroy our home in the same way. We need to accept the fact that we are the leaders. We are the protectors. We are the guard at the gate. We don't have to do evil things to give our family over to Satan. We simply have to stand there and do nothing and watch it happen. Anytime that we live out a reordering of God's design for the home, disaster is coming our way. Watch out. Be strong, men. Now, before anybody gets the wrong impression, if this is your first time here, I want you to understand what the Bible teaches here. It doesn't mean that men are, uh, you know, the slave owners and the wife is the slave. It doesn't mean that men are the boss and they sit in the chair and tell the wife to get them a Diet Pepsi and, you know, just does what I tell her to do. Nothing like that at all. It means the men, we are the loving leaders of our homes. That is not about freedom for us. That is about responsibility for us. She's not supposed to look after us. We're supposed to look after her. I want to tell you, men, in our culture, and and I counsel a lot of couples, way too many, men are afraid of upsetting their wives when you know you are right before God and you need to stop being upset about upsetting your wife. What I mean by that is, if you guys get into a discussion and she says, well, our teenagers, they don't want to come to church and I I don't want them to hate church, so I'm going to let them stay home. You just tell her they're coming. What if they tell you they don't like school anymore? Are you going to let them quit that? You wouldn't think about letting them quit school, but you let them quit coming to church? Men, step up. Tell your wife, sweetie, I love you. I appreciate your thoughts. They're coming. We're going to see at the end of this chapter what God says about this. But man, I want you to walk away today with a great responsibility to know that you cannot stand there and do nothing. You cannot stand there and do nothing. If you do, Satan will come in and steal your wife and your children away from you. The next principle we see here after Adam ignores his God-given role is that Adam and Eve try to cover up their sin and blame others for it. Wow, glad we don't do that. All right? Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, we tried uh, this morning as we were preparing for the service to uh, put some kind of vocoder thing on my voice so that every time I spoke for God, it sounded really boisterous. It didn't work, okay? 
But I want you to pay close attention to who's talking here and who's saying what to who. It's important. What happens after Adam and Eve sin? They do what they do. They try to hide it. They do what we do. They hide from God as if we can. Isn't that funny? There's no way to hide anything from God, and yet they hide behind some trees which he made. God now asks several questions, not because he doesn't know the answers, okay? Uh, God's not trying to get some new information that he doesn't have. He's trying to give Adam a chance to fess up. He's trying to give Adam a chance to come clean. God says, where are you? God says, who told you you were naked? God says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, the right answer for Adam at that point was, yes, God, I have. Please forgive me. That's the right answer. When we realize that God has seen our sin and we realize that God has caught us red-handed, the right answer is always, yes, God, I am the one. Please forgive me. But Adam's answer was the worst possible answer. I mean, I, can't even, I couldn't even think of a worse answer than this. Let's break down what Adam said. First, he says, the woman, so he's already blaming somebody else. Then it gets worse. Uh, that you gave me, God. Oh, by the way, God, it's really your fault. <laughs> if you would never have made her, I wouldn't be in this predicament. He said, she did it first. He's blame shifting. And then at the end, he says, and I just joined in. In other words, I don't really have much fault at all. So here's the big mess up. Okay, God, I, I, understand. I, I did a little bit. Now listen, when we start confession with a disclaimer statement, we're not confessing. We say, when we start saying, okay, I, I might have not done everything perfect, but we're not confessing. And by the way, you gave her to me. And, and oh, she ate first. All I did was what she did. That is the worst possible thing to say. But do we ever see any of our own thinking in Adam's answer? Oh, yeah. I may have lost my temper and I may have said some really bad things to my wife, but she made me act that way by irritating me. If she'd stop pushing my buttons, I wouldn't be like this. That's an Adam answer. Okay, so maybe I don't claim all of my tip income like the law says I should, but nobody really does that. That's an Adam answer. Okay, yeah, I may have done that really terrible thing, but God, after all, you made me this way with these weaknesses. That's an Adam answer. Folks, when we come to the conclusion that we have sinned before God, our best strategy every single time is to say, God, I did that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and help me never to do this again. That is always the best response to getting your hand caught in the cookie jar. And by the way, Eve continued. She said, oh, the serpent deceived me. I didn't know any better. <laughs> he lied to me. So it's not really my fault either. Really bad strategy to try and hide from God. Really bad strategy to try to blame others. The fifth principle I want you to see is that God pronounces judgment, including death. Look at verses 14 through 19. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground, not Adam, the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God now has to pronounce judgment on Adam and Eve for their choice to rebel. And by the way, a holy God must do that, folks. A holy God has to pronounce judgment on sin. There's no looking the other way. There's no sweeping it under the carpet. It has to be dealt with. First, he deals with a serpent. And he says, you are cursed now by God. I want you to pay attention. He doesn't say Adam and Eve are cursed. Because a curse from God is is eternal. It's permanent. Now, there are consequences for their sin, but they're not cursed. But to the serpent, he says, you are cursed. You'll crawl on your belly the rest of your life, and you'll eat dirt. There will be a natural enmity between your offspring and Eve's offspring. And Eve's offspring will bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise the heel of Eve's offspring. We'll come back to this in a minute. But Eve is not cursed, but she has some consequences to her sin. For Eve, God says, Eve, it's just going to hurt like crazy to have children. It's just going to... It's just going to really hurt. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I love YouTube videos of these guys. They have a machine now that you can attach to a guy. And they, they have from 1 to 10 um, pains like childbirth. So they can experience what that's like. I just love watching those. In fact, I thought about maybe I'll bring those up. to. But I thought, well, I don't know if I could only stand a three. I look like a sissy, so I don't want to do that. But listen, you ladies know what we're talking about here. He says, it's just going to be incredibly painful to have children. You're going to want to have them. But man, it is going to just be painful. He said, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What's he saying there? He said, again, this is the biblical model for the home, not the culture, but the home. He's saying, you're going to, lady, you're, you're going to want to take over, especially, you know, depending on your husband. But at the end of the day, God still wants him to be the spiritual leader of your home, no matter how poorly he does it. Now, he should be motivated to do it better. He should do it well. But ladies, even in his uh, times where he's not perfect at it, your tendency is going to be to want to go, well, if he's not going to do it, I'll do it myself. No, you encourage him. You pray for him. You help him do it better. Now, one of the things about Fellowship of Grace I love, and I love a lot of things about Fellowship of Grace, but one of the things that I love about Fellowship of Grace is church whose husbands don't come. Now, I've been in churches before where they're half full of women and children whose husbands won't come to church, 
whose husbands don't want to really follow Jesus. I'm excited that we have a lot, a lot of families here. They're not all, but certainly more than most churches of men who come and take their spiritual life and their spiritual responsibility seriously. Men, good for you. Keep going. Let's, let's help each other and encourage each other to do even better. Then to Adam, he begins, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, now let's stop there for a minute, okay? God isn't saying, never listen to the voice of your wife. In fact, there are times when my wife says something to me and I'm going, wow, that sounds a whole lot like the Holy Spirit. And God speaks to me through my wife sometimes. I mean, not like, you know, I mean, she just says things and I'm like, okay, that's a God thing. I'm, I need to hear that, Okay. So he's not saying don't ever listen to your wife, but what he is saying is never listen to the voice of your wife over mine. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife over what I told you, you broke my law. I'm throwing you out of the garden. You no longer have fast food where you can just walk up anytime you want and get it. You've got to work for it, man. You're going to fight weeds, and you're going to sweat like a pig the rest of your life when you work. Every time I mow the lawn, I curse Adam. <laughs> but the most important judgment, the most important judgment, folks, he says, now you'll return to the earth as dust, and you will die. But he wasn't only talking about physical death that Adam would have to experience but, but being cast out of the garden in fellowship with God and breaking God's laws, he would now experience spiritual death by being separated from God in a way he had never been before. That's a pretty harsh judgment. But he only had one law. So if you look at it that way, he broke 100% of them. The last principle I want you to see is this, and this is the most important. Jesus is prophesied and God covers Adam and Eve's sins with a blood sacrifice. Let's look back at Genesis 3.15 and see what spiritual insights we can get here. I told you we'd come back to it. It says there, I will put enmity between you and the woman, guess God speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, when God was cursing the serpent, he said these things. So I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Most of you ladies have a natural propensity to dislike serpents. Now, there might be a few of you in here that like them, but, but most of you don't. He said, your offspring and hers are going to be battling. This implies kind of the constant battle that will be going on between the followers of God and Satan for his purposes for the rest of time until Christ returns then God says he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel this is a picture and prophecy of Christ coming and being nailed to the cross through his heels while delivering a crushing blow to Satan defeating death hell and the grave by resurrecting from the dead I want you to see Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, why is that significant? 
Why is that significant? Here's why. If you remember, Adam and Eve were wearing fig leaf clothing. And we see that God now replaces that fig leaf clothing with the skin of animals. Death had come to the earth. Animals had to die to cover up the consequences of Adam and Eve's sins. Folks, this is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful word picture of what Jesus would do for us. Jesus was not God's plan B. If everything in the Old Testament doesn't work out, I'll, okay, I'll send my son. No, he was plan A from the beginning. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus came and he gave the perfect blood sacrifice, his own blood, his own body, to forgive our sins. Folks, that is the heart of the gospel right here in Genesis chapter 3. We are sinners. I hope nobody sits here today and says, wow, Adam and Eve were real jerks. I don't see myself in any of that. I hope we're all honest enough and self-aware enough to go, man, I, I'm more like them than I wish I was. I do those things sometimes. And so our sins need to be forgiven. God in his infinite love and his infinite mercy and his infinite grace sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to cover up our sins just like these animal skins covered their nakedness. And by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to forgive us, we can have eternal life. We can be reconnected to God instead of separated from him forever. We can be reconnected to him to spend an eternity with him. But it takes us crossing that line of faith, deciding for ourselves that I believe Jesus really did that for me. And I put my faith and trust in what he did and what he did alone in order for me to be reconnected to God and have my sins forgiven. But by doing that, folks, we receive forgiveness of sins. We receive eternal life. If you haven't done that yet and you'd like to do that today, please don't leave here without talking to somebody. We've got uh, people all over the building who can share with you the, how to know Jesus as your Savior. There are connection cards right there in front of you with several boxes that you could check to let us know that you want to talk to us or you need to talk to us about this. We want to help you in your spiritual journey to get connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and have your sins forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible blessing that it is uh, to just have truth expressed to us. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we act like Adam, we act like Eve. We decide that what we think is more important than what you've said. We justify our bad behavior and our sinful behavior. God, help us to not hide from you when we do that, but to confess and to just uh, be honest with you. We thank you, though, that your forgiveness is just pure, that it can forgive everything we've done. No one in this room is bad enough that they cannot uh, be met by your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for that love. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.